You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Let's uh, pray together a collect that's worth praying again. Set us free, O God, from the bondage of our sins, and give us, we beseech thee, the liberty of that abundant life which thou hast manifested to us in thy Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Uh, Many of you are probably familiar with Isaiah chapter 40. If you join us on Christmas Eve or an Advent leading up to Christmas, you hear the phrase, Comfort, comfort my people. Get ye up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Uh, We know that bit of Isaiah 40, or you may know the end of Isaiah 40, which reads that that we will uh, be raised up uh, like that upon wings of an eagle. And it's an encouraging and lovely chapter, uh, but it's hard for us to grapple with it if we don't know its context. What is Isaiah saying? What is the message he's giving? Isaiah, in fact, is prophesying. Isaiah has told King Hezekiah that they are going to go into exile in Babylon for 70 years. Not that generation. Isaiah will not see it. But there's going to come a day when the people of Israel are gathered up, the elite of Israel, and they're going to be taken to Babylon in captivity where they'll remain for 70 years. But here in Isaiah 40, Isaiah promises that God will deliver his people. In the midst of their despair, hopelessness, wondering what God is up to, God is going to do a great work in delivering his people. And so he's speaking into the future to future generations that might be in exile in Babylon who would read this and know that behold the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. God is going to come and do the thing that he has promised to do. And so this is a turning point in Isaiah as he begins to set his sights on Babylon being the future home of the elites of Israel. This morning, I want us to use chapter 40 to ask two questions. What does deliverance look like? What does deliverance look like? And what kind of deliverer do we have? Now, as I said, King Hezekiah was sick. And he got over this awful illness. And the king of Babylon, Baladon, sent some emissaries to say, we're so glad that you're doing so much better. And Hezekiah is so overwhelmed by the warmness of greeting that Hezekiah decides to show him all around Jerusalem. He gives them the grand tour. He lets them look into every nook and cranny. And Isaiah says, now, King Hezekiah, tell me what happened. And Hezekiah says, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. This was a bad idea. He let him walk around the vault. 
He let them see the wealth and the splendor and the beauty of, of all that the nation had amassed. So years later, a king named Nebuchadnezzar would set his eyes on Jerusalem, knowing the wealth that was there, and they would sack the city. And not only would they carry off its great wealth and all that was in the temple, but also the leadership and elites of Israel. They figured if we cut the head off, we can subdue them. And so they carried them all back to Babylon. In 70 years, they dwelled in Babylon. But then God did a mighty thing and spoke to the king of Babylon, Cyrus. And Cyrus listened to God, and Cyrus said, here's what I'm going to do. All of you may go back to Jerusalem, and I want you to rebuild the temple. And I'm going to give you all of the money that we took from you. Further, I'm going to restore unto you all the things that we took from the temple. So as you build it, you're able to restore your ritual worship. God had done this great thing. His promised deliverance had come. And if you were a Jew sitting in Babylon, wouldn't you rejoice at that? We're going home. And we're taking all that was taken with us. It's all been restored. And yet we read that only about 40,000 go with Zerubbabel. And then an even smaller group later on go with Ezra. So why did everyone else stay behind? This is the promised deliverance. Why didn't they go live into it? Well, Edward Young, uh, an Old Testament scholar from the first half of the 20th century, I think is right when he says there are probably a couple reasons why they didn't go. One, Some people were just too old. And they thought, it's too much of a trip. 900 miles? No way. I'm never going to make it. So I'm going to live out what's left of my life here in Babylon. Families with little kids. I'm not taking my kids on a 900-mile trek. It's too uncertain. Maybe when the kids get a little bit older, then we'll go. Because they'd been there for 70 years, there was certainly a large segment that Babylon was all they knew. They didn't know anything else. And to go to Jerusalem, even though they'd heard of it, and even though they had longed for it, thought, but my life is here. I I listened to Jeremiah. When Jeremiah told us to move into the city and plant gardens and marry off our children, I I did all of that. But I think the overarching reason why people remained in Babylon in spite of God's delivering them, was they were too comfortable there. They came with nothing, and yet many of them had risen to prominence in Babylon. They had beautiful homes. They had a life. And to leave that, to go back to Jerusalem, which lay in ruins? No, I'll just try to be as faithful as I can in Babylon, but, but you go do that. And of course, we see this played out. Uh, the remnant that did stay, a large number of them, we see in the book of Esther that there was another attack against the Jewish people. But I don't think it's, I think God is trying to tell us something in the book of Esther that, you know, it's the only book of the Bible that doesn't mention God. It doesn't mention him. 
Now you can see in between the lines God's hand at work of saving his people that are still in Babylon, but I think it's a commentary on what the spiritual state of God's people was for those who stayed behind in Babylon. Yes, God's people, but they would rather stay in Babylon. And of course, to stay in Babylon means that you will have missed out on what God is doing. One of the great principles that I've learned in my Christian life is that you look where God is working. See where God is working and then join him. Actually, follow after him. This is what God is doing. We should live into it. And yet for those who dwelt in Babylon, they knew that that's where God was working. But they wanted the safety of what they knew and missed out on a great adventure. When you and I ask for deliverance, I know what I ask for. I ask for the best of Babylon coupled with the best of Jerusalem. That's how I define deliverance. I want alleviation on my terms. Most often, God does not work that way. He delivers you and me from the worldly comfort of Babylon to the discomfort of a ruined Jerusalem, from a spiritually impoverished Babylon to a Jerusalem where there is hope and restoration. So when I pray, Lord, deliver me, I'm really saying, Lord, make my life less hard. That's what deliverance means to me. And even now, we rightly pray for deliverance from COVID-19, from the political discord in the world around us. But what does deliverance look like for you? How do you define it? A return to normalcy? A return to comfort? A return to where our preferences become our virtues? A deliverance on our own terms which may not bear any resemblance to God's deliverance? I'll admit that there's a great part of me that does want to just get back to normal. One, it was easier. I wasn't troubled. I didn't have to be yelled at by people when I didn't have my mask on right or had to wear it here but not wear it here. And it would just be really nice to see all of your faces. But also, I want to get back to normalcy because I want to get back to a routine. Normal patterns of behavior. I mean, isn't it funny the things that we long for that maybe we took for granted before COVID? And we really long for them. But the danger of that is that those patterns are what I long for. Realizing that the only constant thing in my life is the Lord Jesus Christ. And those things may not be bad in and of themselves, but they can quickly become the remedy for me to feel secure. To be the means of my deliverance. So I sympathize with the the Israelites when they were brought out of Egypt. And they began to say, what about the meat pots? Remember the meat pots we had in Jerusalem? Remember the cucumbers? Now, of course, God would restore meat pots and cucumbers in in the new promised land that he would give them. But what they were really saying is, remember when I was in control? 
Remember when I didn't have to rely on God for anything? And there are many things that we all long for return, even in the life of our congregation, because I hear from you. All of us look forward to the day when we put our vestments back on and we have a procession down the middle aisle, and we will get back to those one day. There will be processions and vestments in the new promised land. But at the same time, if we think that the living God who came to earth and was laid as a babe in a feeding trough in a stable gives a thought for those things, we're mistaken. And so, even when God says, I have this plan of deliverance for you, we complain. And some of us go so far as to even ask God, have you brought us to this place in order to kill us? Where is God in all of this? What is God's concern? What is his plan of rescue? It's the accomplishment of his plans and purposes. God redeems his people for a reason. Yes, for our ultimate good, but above all, for his great glory. And we mustn't forget that because if we do, we will have lost sight of God. Isaiah begins his book in chapter 1, speaking the word of the Lord of a people who had gotten used to patterns of behavior and put their trust in them rather than in the living God. And he echoes what, what David says in Psalm 51 of what God desires is a broken and contrite heart, not sacrifices, not rituals, especially if they're empty. And isn't COVID breaking our hearts? But rather than turning to a manufactured consistency, Isaiah says, look to God. Look to him. Pew Research came out with a poll recently that said 28% of Americans say that their faith has strengthened during COVID. Now that's far higher than any other nation in the world, almost twice as much as the next closest. But how many of us can say that's true of us, that our faith has actually deepened, that as we make our way through this, that we realize more and more every day our need for Jesus and that this world is fleeting. Now you might understandably say at this point, Andrew, you're being a bit harsh, and only you could find such judgment in in the pages of Isaiah 40 in what is really a promise from God. But I say what I say for the same reason Isaiah said what he said. I say it because I know myself too well. And I'm worried that you and I would rather stay in Babylon than to follow God to deliverance. And many of us will only define deliverance on our own terms, shying away from the adventure that God is calling us to in Jerusalem. And I don't know what that looks like. I, I can't put a, a picture or, or words to what it's going to look like on the other side, but I know that whatever it is, our deliverance is going to be through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so all I know to do is to stick as close to him as possible and know that he has me in his hand. Because you would be right to say, well, golly, this deliverance looks really troublesome. I don't want to leave Babylon and go to Jerusalem just to rebuild a temple. 
especially with all the weird people that are in the area and the people that are seeking to undermine what we're trying to do. It's natural for each and every single one of us to believe that. But what we tend to forget is who calls us to that deliverance, of who goes with us. What kind of deliverer do we have? Because if we have a small idea of God that God is not able to do what he says he's going to be able to do, then you shouldn't go to Jerusalem. But if you serve the living God that Isaiah declares here in chapter 40, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but you'd rather to go to Jerusalem where God is than to stay in Babylon without him. Deliverance is often tied to difficulty. But Isaiah says you can trust in the one who made the heavens and the earth, who knit you together in your mother's womb, who knows the number of hairs on your head, the one whom he came into the world to die for and to be raised for and to reconcile to God. And so time and time again in chapter 40, Isaiah asks, Do you not know? Do you not hear? Have you not known? Have you not heard? It's really overkill. But why does he say that over and over again and give give illustration to who God is? Well, Isaiah constantly repeats because we are in need of constant reminding of who God is. We need to be reminded of God's sovereignty manifested in his creative power, the same power that brought the universe into being and holds it together now, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and gives new life to our dead bodies, will even come now with a saving power to bring a new creation out of chaos. And this is the God who has spoken. I will save my people. And why does he save his people here in Isaiah? Why does he save them through Babylon? In order that the root of Jesse might grow into reality. The Lord Jesus Christ. It all points to him. And even beyond him, the reconciling work that he does in our own lives. Why does God bring them to Jerusalem? Why does God preserve them as a people? Why does God allow them to rebuild the temple and the walls? He does it because of you. He does it because of you. All of that for you and me, because God delights to save, not judge. We serve the God whose property is always to have mercy. Isn't it funny in the Bible that it always says that God is provoked to anger? Never do you read, God had to be provoked to love. You really have to do something to make God angry because his natural disposition is mercy and grace and love. So it's no wonder that he would move heaven and earth in order to secure you. That's the kind of God that we serve. What's the point of our deliverance? Is it to make your life easier? Is it to be given over to leisure and self-indulgence? Or is it that we might feel our great need for God? That we might be drawn closer to him and find our lives in him? 
For he is the only one that can save. He's the only one that can deliver. We need great faith to follow God into deliverance. Faith feeds on truth. And we feed our faith by looking to God's word because that is where we meet the everlasting God and know who he is. Earlier in chapter 40, he says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Do you want assurances of God's love for you? Do you want assurances of your deliverance? Listen to what God says. I'm coming. I'm coming. And how does he come? Yes, as, I, as before, with recompense. But listen to verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are young. He gathers you up like a lamb. And you only know that if you hear from him. Hudson Taylor said, you know, it is not so much faith we need, but faith in a great God. We don't need faith. We need faith in a great God. Because living in Babylon, I tend to think small thoughts of God rather than realistic thoughts about who he is, our great deliverer. Isaiah asks questions in order to get us to stop thinking of God like we think of ourselves. God is not like us. He is a person, but he is not like where we are. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Advent, and speak, O Advent? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What does deliverance look like? It's not often what we would want out of deliverance, but our deliverance comes only at the hand of the only one who can deliver us, Jesus Christ, who is mighty to save. Your deliverance has come. Are you trusting in the deliverer that we see in God's word? the Lord Jesus Christ, who is mighty to save and whose arm is never too short to save. I'm going to close with a poem from uh, a a Puritan of old, uh, and because it's written by a Puritan, it's a little bit long. Um, But it it spoke to me as I meditated on Isaiah 40 and what it meant uh, to be delivered even into hardship Uh, but that God is with us. And so as you hear these words, I wonder if you don't pray them in your heart and appropriate them for yourself. Let us pray.
O God, most high, most glorious, the thought of your infinite serenity cheers me, for I am toiling and moiling, troubled and distressed, but you are forever at perfect peace. Your designs cause you no fear or care of unfulfillment. They stand fast as the eternal hills. Your power knows no bond, your goodness no stint. You bring order out of confusion, and my defeats are your victories. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. I come to you as a sinner with cares and sorrows to leave every concern entirely to you. Every sin calling for Christ's precious blood, revive deep spirituality in my heart. Let me live near to the great shepherd, hear his voice, know its tones, follow its calls. Keep me from deception by causing me to abide in the truth, from harm by helping me to walk in the power of the Spirit. Give me intenser faith in the eternal verities, burning into me by experience the things I know. Let me never be ashamed of the truth of the gospel, that I may bear its reproach, vindicate it, see Jesus as its essence, know it in the power of the Spirit. Lord, help me, for I am often lukewarm and chill. Unbelief mars my confidence. Sin makes me forget you. Let the weeds that grow in my soul be cut at their roots. Grant me to know that I truly live only when I live to you, that all else is trifling. Your presence alone can make me holy, devout, strong, and happy. Abide in me, gracious God. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at Advent